right. Thanks, Gail. So we go through all these announcements and um, <clears throat> some of these things are things we ought to do. Some of these things are, are things we can do. Okay. And I think that of all those announcements, the, the things probably for our fellowship that we really need to understand and focus on would be number one, the fall festival. Okay, we wanna be a functional group. We exist for a purpose. Like we're not just here just to eat donuts. All right, I mean, so um, that's one opportunity that we all have to do together. So on the day of the fall festival, that's like trunk or treat, right? So ways that we can be involved is to bring candy and put it in a candy box. Okay, that's easy. But the, the fun thing that we, the, the thing that we can all do together is to run the prayer tent. So we're gonna be interacting with our community. All right, so when was the last time any of you spoke to our neighbors in the apartments over here. Who's, who has spoken to someone from those apartments in the last year? Shelly, okay, one of us. Okay, how many of you have spoken from people in the apartments over across the alley? Okay. How about the apartments across 40th? How about in, in the houses up north on Walnut? Okay. So God said, all right, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall be given power to be witnesses to me. And, and none of us have talked to anybody in our, in our community at all. Okay, so you're like, well, it's kind of hard. To, well, okay, here's an opportunity where it won't be hard. Here's an opportunity where our neighborhood will come to us hot dogs and bouncy house and all the neighbors will come praise the lord okay yes bethany you can do the bouncy house okay we're not going to man the bouncy house though and we're not going to man the, the the we're going to man the prayer tent okay so as a group what we'll do is we'll set up a schedule where you can be in the prayer tent so this is how it works. It's like, oh, hi, you know, neighbor, welcome. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? Like, like we're praying people. So how can we pray for you? So my brother, my dad, my mom, my job, my boss, my health, my finances, my car, my dog, my, okay, that's what we're going to hear from people. Okay. I've yet to have the person from the neighborhood come in and say, I just really am burdened that God would be glorified. We're not talking. Okay. What we have is an opportunity to interact with people who are either lost or maybe they're saved, but not disciple. Okay. What, what, what Gail was referring to was, as we get ready for this in the next few weeks in our small groups, we ought to make sure that everyone in this class knows 
how to witness to somebody in such a way that you can lead them to Christ. You can't save anybody's soul, but you can introduce them to the one who can save their soul in a way that they can see clearly how to accept the free gift of salvation, Romans 6, 23, or to see clearly that by making that a choice, they are rejecting the free gift of salvation. And if you can't do that right now, if you're like, well, I don't know if I know how to do that. We've got a simple tool in our Are You Sure tract that we can just train you very easily. So you've received salvation, okay? Then you ought to be able to give away what you've received. You ought to be able to lead someone else. And we can train you on how to do that. So in, in the next couple of weeks in our small group, we will be getting equipped to become more functional. Now, some of you, you've done that. You've led a lot of people to Christ and you're good. You kind of maybe have the gift of evangelism. Praise the Lord. You can help train in our small groups the people that haven't. But he that winneth souls is wise. Let's take advantage of this opportunity in our parking lot, right outside the other side of this wall, to win our neighbors to Christ. Amen? Okay, so that's, that is not just an announcement. That's something we, let's do that. Let's be all about that as a group. Okay, and then the other announcement that, that kind of stuck out to me is we have an opportunity to be part of this Grace Church's, uh, I don't have the announcements in front of me, but their Bible conference that's coming up. So this is like what was down in Harrisonville. You can go down there and you can make Bibles that will be sent out. And uh, that, that is an example of something that we have the opportunity to do. Now, I know, Tim, you have the keys to the shuttle. I, I mean, I don't know you know, how it would work to, to go down there as a group. It's in Lee Summit. It's not like it's very far. Christine will probably ride her bike there. But, you know, November 7 through 10, I'm not going to be able to do that. But, but we could organize and go down there as a group if there are people who, who would be willing to, to, to kind of lead in that. So, yeah. Nick has shuttle keys. I do. All right. I just, I just need some, some of the go. Go ye therefore. Okay. That's good discipleship delegation right there, too. Okay. Um, so before we jump into our studies, remember our Bible studies. Okay. This would also be in that category of things that, that is an opportunity for us to do as a class. Okay, so Wagi and Lois, Rukus, Wasam, and Jean are in the Arabic fellowship. We are trusting God to plant an Arabic-speaking church in Kansas City, church that's not an end unto itself, a disciple-making, leadership-equipping, sending church in Kansas City. You guys need to focus on that. So you guys are kind of exempt from being in one of these if, if you need to, if you can't. But for the rest of us, um, you know, same thing. How are you going to actually be effective in your evangelism? 
This is what we have found to be effective in our communities, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our is evangelical Bible studies. And I think to, to understand just what we're talking about is Gail's leading this Bible study. And if you go there, I, I think you'll probably get edified. I think you'll get equipped. I think God will honor that time in which you've separated yourself. To, to, but it's actually not about that. And it's not actually about Gail. And it's not actually about us. It's the fact that there are people who don't know the Lord. And, and if, you, if their name is not in the Lamb's book of life, their story ends up in a lake of fire. And I'm glad they're born, and I'm glad they have life, but it, will be, it would be better that they were never born if they are not born again. God is not willing that any should perish. And for us, you know, if you want fruit in your life, I'm just saying God has blessed our evangelical Bible studies, but we got to get out of that mentality that says it's all about me. It's not actually about us. And so we've got Scott Marla's Bible study, Christine's Bible study, and Tim's Bible study. So if you haven't found yourself in a Bible study yet, I, I think you ought to talk to one of our Bible study leaders, find out when they meet, find out which Bible study is for you. But you're not doing it because you're supposed to, and you're not doing it because you have to, and you're not doing it because I'm like guilty, you know. You're doing it because you're being beseeched by the mercies of God to present your body a living sacrifice. And this is the structure that we've got set up for us to win souls. You know, just give it a try and see if God won't use you in that. So anyway, that's another sort of announcement, but it's, it's not just like a list of it. Like we go through the announcements. These are things that are opportunities for you to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. Sound good. Amen. Okay. All right. So let, let's, uh, let's get into our, our study here. So we're in first John chapter three and, and, um, I'll give you a little insight into pastor world. You guys want insight into pastor world? Okay. So Christianity Today, other things like that, will send out information about different programs they have. And, and it's in response to the perceived needs of a church, of a pastor. So a pastor will say things, and sometimes people contact us at Midtown because everything that God has done here. And they'll say something like this. How do I get my numbers up? How can I get people to come to my church? And Christianity Today will respond with a six-week program designed to increase the attendance of your church. And, and they'll have different things in there with some Bible verses and some maybe some some, some tactics from the world, from the business world or the entertainment industry about how to make things easier for people to listen to. Or the pastor will say, hey, listen, how do you guys, you guys have a big missions budget. How do you get people to give? What's the secret sauce? And then Christianity Today, well, they'll send out things like how to give your people to give to missions. And it's a six weeks program. And then, how do I get 
how do I get people involved? I'm preaching every week and I feel like I'm just trying to talk people into caring about the things of God and nobody cares. But at Midtown, you, you've got people who want to be part of the work of God. How do you do that? Can you, can you send me some bullet points? Can, is there a six-week program that we can do? And the reality is this. We make disciples. And we don't do six-week programs on how to give, how to get people involved in missions, how to grow your church, how to equip people or make them care. We don't do any of that stuff. This is what Kenny Morgan, he's our discipleship pastor. This is what Kenny says. If you make disciples, you get all the other stuff that pastors always want, but they're not actually willing to do the hard work of making disciples. They want people who are equipped, but they're not willing to equip them. They want people who are willing to give, but they're not willing to teach them what the Bible says about giving. They're not they're not willing to release the control to let the church members do the work of the ministry. And so they never get discipleship. So they never get the stuff. And then Christianity, I'm not trying to back on Christianity today, but it's just another article with the secret sauce. And the reality is, if you just make disciples, which is, oh yeah, that's the mission that God gave us. How did they miss that? Okay. So if you just make disciples, just do what God said, go ye therefore, make disciples, then everything you need comes in place. Okay, now why does this matter to you? Well, it doesn't, except that. What is true on the pastoral church level is also true for us on the personal level. And we've got people, and they're not saying the same things that those pastors are saying, but they're saying, look, my health, and my relationships, and my finances. What can I do a six-week program that will teach me to be successful financially? Does Joel Olstein know how to make, if I just tune in, can I be like Joel? Hey, is there, do you have a program that will give me peace over my emotional state? Because I'm struggling with depression, I'm struggling with anxiety. What's the secret sauce? Can you give me a Beth Moore study with, 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 with six weeks that I could go through with the other ladies and I can get control over my depression, my anxiety, my borderline personality, my, my bipolar disorder? Hey, is there a program that I can follow that, that will give me more energy and help me to be more? Is there something to help me with my prayer life? Hey, I'm talking to all of us. We all have the same basic needs. Hey, I need a relationship series. What's the secret sauce? You seem to have a good relationship with your spouse. Hey, listen, can you, can, can you give me something? Okay, so here's the deal. If I'm not speaking with you, it's just that I don't have time. I, whatever your personal need is, what discipleship is to the church, Walking with God, walking with the Lord is to your personal life. Whatever your need is, if you will walk with him, it's going to take care of it. That's what we get in 1 John chapter 3 today. Well, what's that look like? 
I, I'm relating to the problem. I need the solution. Lord, help us. Amen. Let's look at it. First John chapter three. Okay. Before we, okay. I, I keep jumping ahead. Okay. Look at the back of your handout. Cause some of you, some of you are already, you're looking at first John chapter three and you're, you, you're scratching your head a little bit. There's a thing called the dual application. So you guys know about the church age? Who here knows? If I, if I say, hey, we're living in the church age, how many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you could explain what that is to someone else? Okay. So what happened was, was Jesus was the promised Messiah, Israel's promised Messiah, and he came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. You guys know that from discipleship lesson one memory verse. But listen, he came to Israel and Israel received him not. And so what happened was the rejection of the Messiah by Israel opened the door for the church age. So all the Gentiles could now be saved. Whoa! And then we read in Ephesians 1 through 3, and we read in Romans 9 through 11, that was God's plan all along, and he did it because of his mercies toward us. See, some, a few of the Israelites actually did receive him, but most didn't. So Christ could have actually set up his throne. He could have said, okay, to the ones that received me, I'm setting up a literal throne in Jerusalem. I will rule and reign there according to the constitution of the kingdom, which is the Sermon on the Mount, okay, what he taught when he came. And he just would have set up his kingdom rule right there. But Romans 9 through 11 says that out of his mercies, he counted himself rejected by the nation of Israel as a whole. Why? So you could be saved. That's why. How merciful is God who sacrificed his son so you could be saved. And how merciful is God who set aside Israel as a nation so we could be saved. What kind of love is that? That is so sacrificial. Okay, well, I beseech ye therefore by those mercies, that's what that's talking about, that you present your body a living sacrifice. So the church age happened because Israel rejected Christ. Okay, but the, vow, the offer to Israel was a valid offer. Okay, so, so this book of 1 John is written to the church, okay, but the general epistles, which follow the church epistles, so we're talking about Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude, those general epistles are written to the tribulation saints for doctrine on how to live once the church age ends. Does this make sense? little bit my point is this when we read through the general epistles sometimes we come up with stuff that makes us scratch our head and we say that doesn't sound like what paul said and the reality is is there's different rules in the tribulation 
if you take the mark of the beast, it's, it's over. That's faithlessness on your part in the tribulation. That's not the rules for the church age. We don't have to do that. But so we're reading through First John, and we're going to come to we're going to come to some passages that make us wonder. Like that sounds weird to me. Well, it's because there's a dual application of scripture, and I've got some notes that you can read through. But go back to the front side of your handout, and let's get into the book. First John chapter three, verse four and five. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Verse 5 says, and ye know that he, Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. These things are easy to understand. Sin is when you break the law, and Jesus came to take away our sin. Okay, that's pretty easy to understand. I, I, I Look down with me at... First John 3, 8 through 10, though. We're going to skip a couple verses and then go to 8 through 10. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed, God's seed, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. Wait, uh-oh. Okay, here's, that's what I'm talking about. Sounds a little different. Because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth his brother. Okay, let's, let's talk about this just for a second. We know from what Sam said this morning, like nobody has sinless perfection. First John chapter one actually says, if any man saith he hath no sin, he is a liar. So this, what is, what does this mean? Well, well, let's just look at what it says. Sin is the transgression of the law. Okay. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. Acts chapter three, verse 18 says, but those things which God before has showed by the mouth of his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. There's a lot of prophecies. And Jesus himself said, by the, all the law and the prophets, I'm not come to destroy the law, the prophets. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. When Christ came, everything that needed to be done to fulfill the law, he did. Okay, question. Sin is the transgression of the law, correct? Are you under the law? Okay, oh, wait, hang on. Sin is the transgression of the law. That's what it says. Sin's the transgression of the law. Nick, are you under the law? Well, then how can I sin? If I'm not under the law, see, the seed of God is within me. Now, if I say I have no sin, I'm a liar. But I can also say that the seed of Christ, the life of Christ, who fulfilled the law is in me. And if you try to condemn me according to the law, I don't think I can be condemned. Well, Chris, you told a lie. Yeah, but I'm not under the law. Well, you shouldn't lie. Oh, I know. 
but I'm also not condemned for it because the law has been fulfilled. You guys see that? This is, remember, there's a difference between our standing and our state. Our standing, that's our positional reality. I cannot, in terms of who I am in Christ, actually transgress the law because I'm not under the law. The law has been fulfilled. When Christ was on the cross and he said, it is finished, what's finished, Jesus? It, all the work that needs to be done, and you can now rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know why God rested on the seventh day? All the work was done. There's nothing else to do. In terms of your positional righteousness, you being a child of God, your sin being forgiven, Jesus took care of that on the cross, and he said, it is finished, and now what's left? What work is there for me in terms of earning my righteousness, my can't so from a very practical positional state you know he took away our sins you guys look at this verse oops you have to turn there sorry galatians turn to galatians 3 with me In Galatians 3, verses 19 through 25. You guys there? So what about the law? Wherefore then serveth the law? What's the law good for? Verse 19 says, well, it was added because of transgressions. till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Remember that seed that abides in us that makes it so we can't sin? Well, that's talking about Christ. It was ordained by angels. In the hand of a mediator, well, verse 21, is the law against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Okay, verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But look at verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. So verse 24, what was the schoolmaster? The law. The law showed you your sin. This is the way of the master type of evangelism. You just start going through the Ten Commandments. Until the person's like, okay, 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 okay. Yes, I'm, I'm guilty. And then you're like, okay, that law, your guilt before God based on the law was a schoolmaster that brings you to Christ. Okay, but then once you're in Christ, justified by faith in Christ, you are no longer under the schoolmaster. You're no longer under the law. So how can you be condemned by the law if you're not under the law, if it doesn't apply to you anymore? That's what these verses are talking about in 1 John chapter 3. So go back to 1 John chapter 3, and as you turn there, just consider our first question, our key question number one for this morning. Are you living in liberty set free from performance? set free from a legalistic or a works-based mentality. See, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, remember we covered this two weeks ago, and it said, Behold, 
what manner of love the Father hath bestowed. Doesn't say, behold, what manner of love you have earned through your performance as a good child of God. And this is where we get confused sometimes, you guys. We're so religious. We want to be good children and earn the love of our Father. You can't. You can't get any more love by behaving better. Behold what manner of love the Father hath, present tense, bestowed upon you. Now listen, here's the key. We can have better fellowship with him. But we are starting from a place of having received love and forgiveness and imputed righteousness. That means he gave you righteousness. It's not something that we earn. Most of us are, are a little bit prideful. We want to like prove it. I want to try harder. One of a works based. I want to do better than Scott and Wagi. I'm going to pray. So then I show up and it's like, what do you guys do this week? I, I uh, studied out, you know, Joshua and Judges. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. And then I want to like, because I honestly, honestly, until you are able to just see yourself as a recipient of great grace and great love and recognize your positional reality, recognize the standing, your state is always going to be, you're going to be insecure. Okay, so listen, if you're not living in liberty, set free from a performance-based mindset, you're actually make yourself a sinner or a transgressor again. Galatians 2, 16 through 18. We know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So these are Paul saying, hey, we, we who are the Jews, we know this. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Wait a minute. Am I a sinner or a saint? If I say I have no sin, I lie and the truth is not in me. First John chapter one, but first John chapter three says I cannot sin. Okay, so here, here's the deal. My identity has to be one of someone who has received imputed righteousness. I'm in Christ. Okay, if I, I, if I have a works-based mentality, that's like I'm trying to earn righteousness with God. Well, then, then I haven't earned it yet. If I'm trying to earn God's love, it means I haven't received it yet. And I, find my, I make myself a sinner. Does this make sense? I don't know if that's clear. If you can't receive imputed righteousness, then you're still trying to earn righteousness. And if you're trying to earn righteousness, then in your mind, you haven't received it yet. And you actually make yourself out to be a sinner. Okay, I'll let you guys work on that. First John chapter three, verse six and seven. Let's continue on. Whoever abideth in him sinneth not. Huh. Huh. Whoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. 
Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. This means something different to you and I, church age saint, than it will to the tribulation saint. For us, we look at this, we understand our positional reality, that is our standing before God as one who's received imputed righteousness. Thank you, Lord. But then also, our conversation, our lifestyle should reflect that reality and not who we are in the world, not who we used to be. Amen? You guys get that? Okay, so let's work through it. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Well, okay, so we see right there, to abide is to not sin. So what's our church age application? Because if any man says he hath no sin, he's a liar. The truth is not in him. But here it says, if I'm going to abide, I can't sin. Well, what's this talking about? Here's our application. Our practical righteousness, which determines our degree of fellowship, him is based on our walk, not based on our talk. We've been seeing this over and over again in the book of 1 John. Look at 1 John chapter 1. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Why? Well, because he is in the light. God is light. In him is no darkness. Well, I have fellowship with God. Okay, well, not if you're doing darkness because God's light. So how, what is my degree of fellowship with God? Well, how, how much are you walking in the light? That's how much fellowship you have. How much time are you spent walking in darkness? Well, that's, that's when you're out of fellowship with God. So your standing with God as a child is never in question. But your fellowship with God does actually depend on your walk. Not your talk. If you say you have fellowship with him, but you walk in darkness, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you don't have imputed righteousness, but your fellowship with God is not there. That's what this is talking about. First John chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. And now, little children, abide in him. Stay there. Live there. Don't wander off from there. Abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And over and over and over again, we see this, that our practical righteousness so I can live in a manner consistent with my positional righteousness, or I can live in a manner inconsistent with that. I can live like a righteous person lives, or I can live like an unrighteous person lives. You probably did both last week, so you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so here's key question number two. What does it take for you to leave your abode with God? Eve. Okay, so I'm starting to sound like Sam. It's scary. Like, hey, Eve, you know, like, okay. What did Eve do? Eve was in the garden. She had fellowship with her husband. She was in a paradise. There was no sin. There was no shame. She walked with God in the garden until, until the opportunity came for her to be her own God. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Well, it does look good. I mean, it probably tastes good. It smells, well, sure. I mean, so when she had the opportunity to 
self-determination. Even though it meant leaving the place of abiding, walking away from God, she took it. She, what does it take for you to leave the place of abiding? We sang this morning this song, I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. Great is your faithfulness unto me, O Lord. Man, that's awesome. You know what that song is talking about? And you know what we're getting to in this passage is God is faithful. If we will walk with him, we will see that. If Eve would have said to the serpent, I better go see what God said. And she would have stayed in her place of abiding if she would have trusted God instead of saying, I think I'll, I think I'll follow after. I think I'll walk away from my place of abiding so that I can be like a little God myself. You know what? God would have been faithful to her if she would have been faithful to his word. Great is his faithfulness. But she didn't get to know God as the faithful provider and protector that he is because she, she walked away. She didn't abide. So she didn't get to know him in those ways. She didn't know him like she should have and like she could have because she was faithless. Because when a temptation came, she didn't value the abiding. She didn't value the sinless state. She didn't value walking with God in the garden. Oh my goodness, you guys, this is us in our quiet times. Are you walking with him in the garden in the cool of the day? Are you getting together and are you meeting with God? And then as you go through your day, what does it take for you to walk away? It's a rhetorical question, but I'll go ahead and give you the answer. Oh, okay. So before I do that, here's Rocky Balboa. Here's Rocky Balboa. He says, okay, so yes, I, I adulterated it. Okay, instead of Rocky Balboa, this is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not how hard can you hit. It's how hard can you get hit and still abide. Okay, self is what messes this up for us. What does it take for you to leave your place of abiding? It's easy. It's self. Self-protection. See, something bad happened to you. you. It's really hard for you to trust God to be your protector. You got your guard up. You got your walls up. Okay, so, so you're going through your day and you feel threatened. You feel threatened by your spouse. You feel threatened by your coworkers. You feel threatened by your circumstances. And, and you're just like, ah, and then you, okay, here's, here's what you do. You react in a way that's unbiblical. You feel attacked, whether you were or not, who knows. But you attack back. Your spouse says something unkind to you and you say something unkind back. Okay, you just walked away from God. It doesn't matter what your spouse says. What did God say? God said, husband, love your wives. Wives, reverence your husband. And you 
didn't do that because you're protecting yourself. You didn't trust God with it. You got mistreated. Bethany talked about it at the uh, Women in Missions Conference, how she got mistreated in the marketplace. Doug's like, eh, just suck it up. Like, you just got to put up with it. For the, and she's like, ah! She's like, okay, okay. For, for Christ's sake, I'll put up with it. Okay, that is saying no to self in order to be biblical. Okay, so I remember when I was misjudged, in my humble opinion. Okay, but for me to defend myself, I wouldn't have been giving, you know, place to, God said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And I think I could have won an argument. I think I was right, but I could not have defended myself and still given place. So, so God, God said, trust me, vengeance is mine. You just follow my word. And here's the thing. I don't think I could have argued my case without speaking evil of somebody. Well, James says, speak evil of no man. So I'm here. I'm being misjudged. And so I just didn't say anything. I just took it. I received that judgment from man. And I said, God, if, and here's the other thing. I was just willing also just to say, you know, my perception could be wrong. Or maybe they're right. Either way, God, if I need defended, God, I want to trust you as my defender. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to, I'm going to give place to vengeance. Let God be my defender. And I'm not going to speak evil because God's with me and I can't walk away from him. I cannot sin because that would be just like Eve. I would be disobeying God for my own self-protection. So I'm like, I guess, I guess, yes, sir. I guess, I guess I'm sure you're right. I don't know what to say about that. Thank you for, for telling me these things. I'll, I'll pray about it. And the whole time it's like, I'm right. I'm being misjudged here. You know what? God is faithful. He did. He worked things out. It's clear now. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. Okay, but if I would have defended myself, which is my natural tendency, you know that fight or flight thing? I want to fight. Like, I can't run very far. So I might as well just fight. Like, that's my natural tendency, right? You're probably the same way. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I never would have known God as my defender, as Jehovah Jireh. I know him like that because I just simply trusted him according to his words. This makes sense. Who's got a story like that? Where you just trusted God and he came through. If you wouldn't have trusted God, you wouldn't know him like that. And what a shame would... A shame that would be okay. So, so the answer: what, what, what does it take for us to walk away itself? Here's what First John three says. It says, "Let's see." Uh, he hath not seen him; he does not know. Him. Where, where is this? Okay, verse six: Whoso abideth in him. Sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, 
neither known him. Okay, so here's, here's key question number three. Have you seen him and do you know him? We see him in the word of God. We know him experientially. That's what I was just talking about through my experiences in trusting God, even when, hmm, is my anchor going to hold even in this storm? Because I'm really tempted to take that apple and through self-determination, promote myself, protect myself, provide for myself. Well, then I wouldn't know him as protector, as provider, and as promoter. Luke 646 says, why call ye me Lord, Lord? That's why everybody, you know, it's like the Lord prayer guy. Lord, we love you. And Lord, thank you. And Lord, like every third word is Lord. Like, you know, you get in the habit, like Lord, Lord, Lord. He's like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, Lord? Okay. And do not the things which I say. Lord means he's the boss. He's a, sometimes Christine calls me boss. She's like, hey, boss. And then she tells me what to do. Hey, wait, boss means, and I don't think that word means what you think it means. That's what Jesus is saying. Lord, you call me Lord. I don't think that word means what you think it means because you call me Lord, but you're not trusting me as Lord. Okay, so here's, here's, here's the main point. We can go on to, Second Peter covers this real quick. So we'll just wrap up with this. Second Peter chapter one, look at this. Second Peter chapter one. I don't think I have it on here. I think we've got to turn. Yeah, turn, turn there. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith, faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You got righteousness when you knew him as Savior. Praise the Lord. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior. Jesus our Lord, so listen, as you know him as Lord, grace and peace are multiplied unto you. So you get grace through your faith. So as you grow and you go through discipleship lesson one and you trust God, you say, okay, well, God, you're the Lord. You say it, I'll do it. And then you do that for lesson two and lesson three and lesson four. And you just go, as you go through God's word and you see what it says and you just trust him according to it, you get to know him as Lord in the area of your job and your employer and your finances, and other Christians, and dealing with sin, and so on, and so on, and he becomes Lord as you live out your life. You're walking with him, so you're like Eve, and you're in the garden. That's your quiet time in the morning, and it's the secret place. You're listening to the folk song, Christian folk song, and the secret garden, and, and that's your, you've got walls and boundaries, and it's you and the Lord, and it's awesome. And then you start walking through your day, and here's your, your spouse, okay? And here's your boss, your coworkers, whatever it is. They're like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they're just like, ah, like, hey, and the serpent's like, take a bite, take a bite. You have to protect yourself. Someone's mistreating you. And you're like, yeah, but the Bible says to forgiven forbear and to be kind and let no corrupt communication come out of my mouth and and just like so what are you going to do here's the thing class abide and you will know 
him as your protector, as your provider, everything you need. You're going to get to know him more and more and more. He that sinneth, seeth him not. He that sinneth, knoweth him not. I can't enter into sin and still be in that place where God is. Where I, So anyway, does this make sense? Okay, so we have some small group questions, and I, and I guess that that um, we ought to have some spiritual maturity like Rocky Balboa. We ought to be able to be mistreated and not leave our place of abiding. We ought to be misjudged and not to leave our place of abiding. We ought to be demoted and not and just trust God with all of it. He wants to be our God. Self-determination is what messes that up and makes us leave our place of abiding. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, we just want to walk with you. And, and I guess maybe now for the first time even, some of us are seeing how that requires us dying to self, self-determination and just trusting you. But honestly, God, everything we've ever trusted you with, you've been faithful to us. And the trials that we've gone through and the things that we died to, God, you just made that beautiful. And we can all look back and just say, I trusted God and he came through. And to know you more, God, that would just be grace and peace multiplied. So, Father, we just want that. Lord, if there's any here who don't know you as Lord and Savior, God, if there's anyone here who can't say, I know if I died today, I would be in heaven with the Lord that, God, you would just help us get that cleared up in our small group time. We love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we can do, you, ladies can divide up. We'll need multiple groups back there. We'll do a couple's groups up in this area and men's groups back there. So God bless.